we're starting a brand new message series today, and uh, I'm anxious to get into that with you, but let's just pause. We've been moving at a pretty fast pace with a lot of things going on, and I want to just pause, and I want to pray, and I want to ask that God would just bless us in this time that we have together, and ask that God's going to speak to you during these next few moments, and I'm praying that at the end of the service, because I know some of you are faced with some challenges. You're here and you're smiling, but that doesn't mean everything is great in your life. How many of you have figured out how to fake it enough to even if things are not going well, you still smile and act like you're happy? And so some of you are faced with some stuff, and I want to be sensitive to that. I know that God cares about that, and at the end of the service, I want to pray for those of you that are walking through some challenging times. But I want to pray that God would be with us in these moments. And I want to pray that your minds would be open. I want to pray that your hearts would be receptive. This is a busy time of year. How many of you are like me and that not only is this a busy time of year, but you have a busy mind that's running just all the time except when you're sleeping. And so maybe today you'd, you know, you'd be tempted to think of a lot of things, what's going on at work, at home, and what you got to do, and what you got to buy, and where you're going. But I'm going to ask you for the next 30 minutes to just set all of that aside and let God speak to you through this message, because I think you'll be encouraged by the time that we get into it. All right? You good? Are you okay? You awake? Do we need to walk in and serve coffee? All right, we can if we need to. Let's pray. Sarah's got her coffee. God, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can all be together. We just pray that you'll bless these moments. God, we just need to hit pause. Most of us, we've been running fast and hard. Our RPMs are pegged out, it seems like, all the time. And so, God, I just pray that we would relax, that we would take a deep breath, and that we would just allow our attention and our uh, focus and our mind to be entirely upon you. Pray that you'll be with us in these next few moments and speak to every person. And for those that are joyful, we want to be joyful and celebrate with them. For those that are walking through a struggle, we want to come along and uh, commiserate with them and love them and support them and weep with them and pray for them. And I just pray that you'll be with us today as we kick off this series. I need your help. I look to you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So I'm glad you're here. Part one. And this is the intro message, and I'm going to give you more background than I typically would, and I'm going to give you parts. Now, what's most important about the Christmas story is in the Bible. Would you agree? But there's other things that were going on around this time that historically that you're not going to read about in the Bible. Um, you know, if you read about everything that was playing out in history, it would be a Bible that you probably could not carry around unless it was electronic. Then I guess you could. But it doesn't record. The Bible contains all truth, but it doesn't tell us everything that is going on in history. So I want to give you sort of the historical narrative that is connected to the Christmas story, and it's going to set us up well for the next couple of weeks. So I'm glad you're here, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to invite people to come with you the next two weeks. It's going to be really important. You don't want to miss next Sunday, the 13th, and you don't want to miss a Sunday before Christmas, the 20th. And that's when we're going to get into more of the nitty gritty. Today is going to be like overview, his, history, uh, where it's at, and we'll tie this together. But you really want to get your friends and family members here next week. And by the way, I want to take a moment to speak to those that are watching online. I know a lot of you can't be with us, and for obvious reasons, but some of you can. If you've not been here, I want to invite you to be back and to join us right back here next week. And then we've got a lot of people that watch us in other places and they can't be here. So we want to ask them to move to Lakeland and start going to church with us right here. So uh, I'm glad you're here. And I love this time of year. How many of you love this time of year? Do you love it? 
I love the music. Do you love Christmas music? Uh, I, I mentioned to one of our guys the other day, and, you know, we start, like, pre-service stuff, 10 minutes part of the service, and I've noticed that uh, generally it's not as full in here at 9 o'clock as it is, you know, about 9.35. And so I told them, I said, man, I'd just love to play some of the great classical Christmas music, uh, you know, part of that time, and then it hit me, well, you know, there's not really anybody here 10 minutes part of the service, so I threw out that idea. The other day, I just wanted to have some Christmas music music handy. So I thought on my iPad, which is I uh, hang on to pretty tightly. It's with me quite often. I thought I'm just going to, and I only had a moment, I'm just going to download some of the classic Christmas songs. And I made a wrong selection and spent some money with my iTunes card that I had. And I downloaded the wrong music and I wasted time. So if you can show me after service how to delete it, I sure would appreciate it. <laughs> Do you like Christmas music? Do, yeah. Do you like Christmas movies? I love Christmas movies. I've watched more. And my goal has been, you say, man, Jeff, you need to set more goals for your life than this. And I have. But I've set goals to watch more Christmas movies this December. And it's probably a habit of me just trying to slow my RPMs down. And I think if I stay on pace, maybe in the month of December, I'll watch more Christmas movies than I ever have before. And I love Christmas movies. I love this time of year. I love the decorations. How about you? Do you love the Christmas decorations? Have you noticed, though, they're going up earlier and earlier every year? I noticed they were up in June in many stores, maybe not quite that early, uh, but earlier and earlier. How many of you love the temperature here in Central Florida at Christmas time? How's that? How's that? I played golf yesterday in shorts and short sleeves, and I'm thanking Jesus for that. It was late in the afternoon, and I just want to call up my son in Illinois and say, Dad's playing in shorts right here in December, but I don't want people to be envious, so I didn't do that. But he's watching now, so I guess he already notices. But I love this temperature. I love events. And you know what I love above everything else? I love church. I love it throughout the year, but I especially love it during the Christmas season. Now, a lot of my thinking and a lot of the work that I did on this series and continue to do leading us up over the next couple of weeks is actually shaped by some of the research that is done on a guy that, in my estimation, is a brilliant writer, speaker, thinker. His name is John Ortberg. And so he did some research, and I'm going to tag into a little bit of that research uh, here with you today. And as we get started, um, I want you to think about this question. What is the greatest Christmas carol that has ever been written? I want you to think about that. What is the greatest Christmas carol that has ever been written? And we all probably have our opinion. But what I want to do today, and uh, I want to take you to what I think is the greatest Christmas carol ever written. And it was written maybe a little bit longer than some of the ones that you're thinking about at this moment. This one was actually written about 2,000 years ago. And it was written by a very young Jewish girl who has just more recently found out that she is going to have a baby. She's actually at the home of her cousin. Her cousin's name is Elizabeth, and a really weird and a really strange thing hap happens in that moment. She's gone over to visit a relative, and a relative, Elizabeth, her cousin, is pre pregnant. And uh, you can check that out later on your own and read who she was going to give birth to, and it ties into the story here. But for this young Jewish girl who steps into the home of her cousin, her cousin just, Lord, like out of nowhere, and it's strange in that moment, but she pronounces over this young lady's life a great blessing, just like out of the blue, a great blessing uh, over this young pregnant girl because of something that is about to become a reality in her life. 
And soon afterwards, this young, very young uh, Jewish girl, by now you know that her name is Mary, the mother of Jesus, she opens her mouth and from it, incredible words begin to flow. Incredible words, just, you know, words which we're about to see in, in just a moment. And many of you actually know this song, and it is called, and I hope I'm saying, you can correct me if I'm, I'm not, I listened to it on pronunciation, just, it's called the Magnificat. The Magnificat. Isn't that strange? Some of you haven't heard a thing I said till I said cat. And you're like, did he say cats? I love cats. I want, and is he talking about a magnificent cat? I got a brilliant cat at home. No, the Magnificat. Some of you are like, I don't even know how to take this guy. <laughs> now, before I get to it, on a side note, something you guys may not know. You may know uh, quite a lot of what I'm going to share with you around the historical narrative of Christmas. But what you may not know is actually this song, this carol, was actually banned in Guatemala in the, uh, in the 1980s. And the thinking behind that was, was this. It was actually illegal. Think about that. It was illegal to recite this song in public. And the thinking was this, that if people, especially downtrodden people, if people, especially hopeless people or oppressed people, ever heard what God was up to in the world, what they might would do is they'd throw off some of the challenges and that they would embrace hope hope in a way that they would never embrace it otherwise and to take some action. And uh, it's the first Christmas carol, and it's lengthy verses, and I want you to be sure you get them down somewhere. You can go back and read them over but later, but here we go. And Mary said, look at this, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me, I love this, and isn't it true? Aren't we still calling Mary blessed here 2,000 years later? All generations, she's not being uh, arrogant about it. She's just stating a fact. For the mighty one has done great things for me. You know, holy is his name. This is what God's done. Look at the next part right here. His mercy extends to those who fear him. That's true today. From generation to generation, she says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. And that really, really comes into play with what we're going to talk about in the next couple of moments. Now, I want to dive in to this. And again, this is the overview. Wave at me if you know this is the overview. How many of you how many of you heard me when I said this is going to deal with more history, but it's going to set us up for the next couple of weeks? How many of you wave at me if you heard that? You heard that. And here's what I want us to do as we dive into this a little bit today. Uh, we're going to dive in by, by talking about a king. A king. Because when Mary sang this song, when she proclaimed it, when these wonderful words came out of her mouth soon after uh, her cousin Elizabeth had pronounced this blessing over her life, everybody in and around where Mary lived knew who the king was. Now, a lot of you probably at some point, if you've been here long enough, because you talk about Christmas every year, and so we've been at it for about 13 years now. So some of you at some point maybe heard me uh, allude a little bit here and there to the life of King Herod. I'll give you some more comprehensive information, maybe for some of you more than you really wanted to hear, but let me give it to you nevertheless. Uh, King Herod, let's talk about him. If you're familiar with his life already, some of you are going to hear some things about Herod right now that you never knew about Herod because it's not mentioned in the Bible. It's not necessary that it be mentioned in the Bible, but it does surround the Christmas narrative and we need to talk about it. Um, King Herod's life 
A lot of it we know about, actually, again, not from the scriptures, but there was a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. And Josephus gives us a lot of insight into, you know, sort of the makeup uh, of Herod's life. Uh, Herod had actually, when I said a moment ago that everybody, when Mary sings her song, everybody knows at that time who the king is. And the king is Herod. And Herod had actually been given that title king by the Roman Senate about 30 years prior to this time. Now, here's another thing that you need to know about Herod. How many of you know that uh, Herod, some of you may know this historically, that Herod was married, we know uh, from uh, Josephus, that he was married to at least 10 different wives over time. How many of you know this guy has some problems already? Just wave at me. He's got some problems. He's got some challenges. Some people think that it was actually, uh, could have been 12, but at least 10 wives he had been married to. And uh, over time, and uh, all of his, think about this, how, how sad is this? And I don't feel sorry for Herod, but this is sad. The essence of this, uh, all of his relationships were based on um, political posturing. They were motivated politically. And when, when Herod got married, it was, out, it was all about, it wasn't about the re- relational connection. It wasn't about the love. It, it was all about, it was all about either getting power or maintaining some of the power that he already had. Uh, Josephus gives us some insight into this, that of the 10 or 12 um, wives that he had, uh, Josephus tells us that he really only loved one. And, and that one would have been Miriam. Out of all the others, it's just like political. It's maneuvering. It's power. It's maintaining power. It's uh, assessing more wealth. But it seems that Herod uh, really loved Miriam. But Miriam, he later began to distrust. And so this, this is how ruthless. I mean, everything I could tell you about in Herod in these uh, couple of moments, he, he was just far worse of an individual than what I'm able to describe. Because he began to uh, distrust Miriam, even though he loved her, he decided, you know what? She's not as loyal to me as she once was. So Herod actually had her executed, the only wife out of the 10 or 12 that he ever really loved. And, And he had his own wife executed. I mean, that's horrible, isn't it? And, and it reached even further than that. He also did not trust her mom. So guess what he did? He had his mother-in-law executed as well. Now, between these 10 to 12 wives, are you ready for this? Are you ready? Wave at me if you are. It's dark. Sometimes I can't see unless you wave. All right. Are you waving at me? Are you? Okay. Between these 10 to 12 wives, are you ready for this number? He had children. You want to guess how many? 43 kids. His Christmas list was heavy. I don't think he had one, actually. And you'll, you'll probably agree with that by the time we get to the end. 43 kids. Now, um, I'm telling you, uh, Brandon and Nicole, our oldest son, his wife, uh, they have nothing. They have 10% of that, and their lives are crazy. Uh, and I know this firsthand. I know it personally. I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, seven, here's the age. It's four, seven, five, three, two weeks. How many of you know that's busy? And some of you have busy families like that. Some of you have busier, bigger families than that. Now, Brody by himself, and I'm not going to tell a lot of grandkids' story because that would take the balance of our time. I got 22 minutes, and I could fill it up, but I'm not going to do that. How about two Brody stories? All right, one, he, he can be angelic. 
He can. He can be angelic. Uh, not long ago, Brody, actually, uh, he was sitting between his dad and me, and he put his hand sort of around us, but it was more on the back of our heads, and he looked at us like this. He's three years old, just turned three, and he looked at us like this, and this is exactly what he said verbatim. He said, I'm so proud of you guys. And I'm like, well, I, I don't even know why he's proud of us, but, you know, I receive it. <laughs> I'm proud of you guys. So he's angelic. But he also has a fallen nature. And so uh, he's got this little chainsaw. Thankfully, it's not real. It's play, but it makes like a real noise. And so uh, just this week, he, was, uh, he went over to their Christmas tree with his chainsaw. Thank God it didn't work because he went through every limb that he could possibly reach and, and uh, reach. And he pretended to be cutting off. And then each of the kids have a little Christmas tree. And uh, his sister's was over on the side. And he probably walks out of her room and says, I cut down our Christmas tree. So he's, he's angelic at times, but he's got a fallen nature. And then these kids, and it's just crazy. And I think crazy. But then I think Herod, 43 kids. How many of you know that can really be crazy. But let me tell you a little bit about how this was. Miriam of the 43, how many of you remember who Miriam was? Wave at me if you remember. Miriam was the only wife of the 10 or 12 that he loved. She had five of the 43. All right, five of the 43. Five of the 43. And two of them seemed to be getting a little too ambitious. Two of the five seem to be getting a little bit too ambitious. So Herod, these are his own sons. Think about how much you love your kids. And she had, or he had, two of the sons smothered to death because they were a little bit too ambitious. All right, again, you're not going to see this in the Bible, but the history tells us that his barber, who cut his hair, however often he went, who cut his hair, actually was defending the two sons that he had smothered to death. So guess what Herod did to his barber? He had him executed as well. He actually ordered not only the execution of two of his kids, actually there was a third son that he ordered him to be executed. Think about this now. He ordered him to be executed five days before he himself, Herod, died, and he ordered the death. I mean, I, I hope when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not thinking this way. I hope I'm thinking about how much I love my family. But he, while on his deathbed, five days before he died, ordered the death, the execution of a third son. And speaking about... Herod, and uh, speaking about how he was, his own death, he knew that all of Israel, he was not a popular king, uh, obviously, and Herod knew that whenever the day came that he would die, that all of Israel was going to throw a massive party. Nobody was going to be sad. Nobody was going to cry when Herod died. So you know what he did? This is how ruthless. This is such a horrible kind of guy that he was, that Herod had 70 seven zero of the leading citizens of Jerusalem gathered up and put into prison with the express order that at the moment that he died, that all 70 of these leading citizens would be executed because he knew that nobody was going to cry when he died. But when he died, he wanted there to be tears in Jerusalem. How many of you would agree with me at this point? This is a, this is a pretty terrible guy, but everybody knows he's king. Roman Senate said 30 years earlier, you're king. Everybody knew who the king was. Now, 
One day, some strangers came to Jerusalem, and this was prior to Herod's death, and they began asking some questions. Let me just show you one question, and then I'll show you a response to the question. You ready for this? Guys are going to help me. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, they gather, they come to Jerusalem, and they said this, where is the one who has been born? What's that word? What's the word? Who's the one who has been born king of the Jews? Now, how many of you know, because I just shared it with you, and I know you're listening. How many of you know, everybody knows who the king is. But now the Magi, as they're called, have come to Jerusalem, and they're asking this question, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? How many of you know that this would not be good news for Herod? Look at his response. Look at it right here. When King Herod heard this, he was... All right, seven of you helped me. I so appreciate it. He was what? He was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So, I mean, here he is. He's king. He's entrenched in king. He has marriages and relationships that are based on political power and wealth. And how do I get it? And how do I keep it? And how do I remain king? And he's just ruthless, executing his own kids, his wife, his mother-in-law, anybody that stood in the way. And now some people show up where they're at. And they're like, where is he? Like, where's who? Where's he who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod is extraordinarily disturbed. And how many of you know that when Herod gets angry and when Herod gets disturbed, all of Israel is going to get bothered as well. And they do. But what I love about this is little, young, pregnant Mary, she keeps singing out her song. Look at this. You saw it just a couple of moments ago. Look at what she's singing. He has stretched out his mighty arm and scattered the proud. And she's not talking about Herod, by the way. And scatter the proud with all their plans. He, look at this. I love this phrase. He has brought down mighty. Herod needs to pay attention to that. He has brought down mighty kings from their thrones. And he has lifted up who? He's lifted up the lowly. See the one, the one who is Mary, Jesus, who she will give birth to, is the hope of the world. The hope of the world, a promise given. But to another, Herod, Jesus will become a distraction that must be destroyed and eliminated at all costs. To Mary, he's the promise. Challenge you to do something. This is not really in my notes, but I challenge you to do it because I've done it before and it's quite a, interesting. I want you to just, when you read through the Gospels the next time, and maybe you'll take it up as a Christmas uh, challenge this year, and you'll read through the Gospels and you'll pay close attention this time to every time uh, Mary and Jesus are interacting and some of the things that are happening. I think there are times, and again, this is not in the notes, but I'll give it to you. This is bonus material. There are times when Moses, uh, Moses, Moses, you see, uh, it's bonus material. You can tell it's not thought out. How do we get Moses into the Christmas story? It's not easy. Maybe I need to go back to my nose. <laughs> but there were times when Mary, like, you know, at the time when, when Jesus would be dedicated and the priest would take Jesus in his arms and she'd just stand back. You read it. You check this out on your own. She'd just stand back. And it was almost like as a mother, she's just hearing everything that the priest Simeon is saying about Jesus. And she's like, what? Are you kidding? Really? And it says, I love this phrase. You've read it. Maybe you forgot about it. It said, but she, I love this. She pondered these things in her heart. 
And so now she's got this, you know, Elizabeth has pronounced this uh, great blessing over her life because of what's going to happen in her life. She erupts with this great Christmas song, this great Christmas carol, and, and she sings out, and she knows who the king is. She knows, everybody knows about Herod, but now she's taken in. It's like, oh, wow. Check it out sometimes when you remember when they had gone, uh, they had gone into Jerusalem, but then her family, sort of the caravan is left, and they're all looking around, and this is an interesting story, and everybody's leaving, family, friends, they're all leaving, they're going back to their homes, and, and she's looking around. I, I guess it's sort of like home alone. She thinks Jesus is with them, but he's not. And she's like, goes back to Jesus, and he's, I, I, I think he's just a kid. He's not even a teenager. He's just a kid, and she says, don't you know, I'm paraphrasing, don't you know that you were worrying your dad and I sick? You weren't with us? And we started looking around, and Jesus, just as a boy, eight years old, I think he was, or somewhere thereabouts, and he said, didn't you know I'd be about my father's business? And Mary must have stood off and thought, wow. And she pondered these in her heart. Maybe at some point in this series, we'll get not to the birth of Jesus, but we'll come to that moment where Mary, who has tracked this phenomenal life of her son, virgin birth, from birth to a cross, and what must have been going through Mary's mind when she saw, and it had been, it had been prophesied that that was going to happen, that Jesus would die for the sins of the world. To one, to Mary, Jesus was a promise fulfilled. He was a hope for all people. To Herod, whatever it takes, we've got to get rid of Jesus. Now, there's a very important theme that is found throughout the Bible, and maybe you've never heard this before, but, um, I'll just share it with you briefly. And Dallas Willard actually gives us some language that describes it. Dallas Willard called it the law of inversion. Inversion. It is the great reversal, and it's a, a wonderful law that is at work in the kingdom of God. And it is a theme, again, that's found throughout the Bible. Uh, our world says this. Our world says, okay, well, we know who the blessed are. The blessed are Herod. Blessed are the, the rich and the successful and the secure and the dominant and the powerful. Blessed are Herod. But now little Mary sings out about a time that will play out in the future when God would turn everything upside down or, depending on how you look at it, everything right side up. You ever have times in your life, and I don't want to chase this trail because I need to stay on task, knowing I've got 11 and a half minutes left. I need to stay on task. But do you ever have times, you don't even need to wait, raise your hand or nod at me or anything like this, but do you ever have times when you think, how could they have gotten by with that? How could somebody be that bad, that wrong, and they get by with that? How can somebody be so evil, so wretched, and they get by with that? How, how is that? And all I, maybe we'll talk about it in the future. All I can tell you is there, coming, there is coming a time when wrong things are going to be made right. When God's going to have. How many of you know God's always going to have the final word? He will. So Mary sings out her song. Jesus, um, a few chapters later, uh, Luke chapter 6, he's certainly not a baby anymore. He's a, he's a, he's a new teacher. And he's a new rabbi. And he's preeminent among them all. And he would come and he would say these things that people had never heard before. I want you to just see one example of this. Because they had this mentality that to follow them. But then in Luke 6, 20 and 21, uh, Jesus said, God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now for in due time. Here's what's going to happen. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bad it is, there's coming a time. And, and Jesus, for the first time, people are hearing hope. 
I love it. And, and, and again, this is bonus material. It's not in my notes. And I'm going to try to keep Moses completely out of it. <laughs> there was this time when Jesus stood up and he was doing all this great teaching. And people just wagged their head and like, oh, that is unbelievable. And they're just sort of walk off and people are like, what, what? And, and their response was this. We've never heard anybody teach like this. And the words of Jesus were powerful. And the words of Jesus were transformative. And the words of Jesus were life-changing. And uh, Jesus is announcing there's coming a new time. And for the first time, that people that had no hope began to have hope. Because perhaps there was a new king. And there would be a new reign. But there's one more matter that I want to quickly get to before we're done. And uh, we're going to build on this next week. So I want to encourage you to be right back here. But Mary's song of rejoicing. I wanted you to think about this aspect of it. Her song of rejoicing is not because she's got an easy life. Mary does not have an easy life. Mary was like us. I mean, you know, she gave birth to the mother of Jesus, but she's flesh and blood just like we are. And she had problems. She had all kinds of challenges. The reason she was rejoicing is not because she had an easy life. It was not because her life was perfect. She was actually rejoicing for this reason, that she had a great and a mighty God. And see, if you're like most people, it's often easy. Would you, would, would you agree with me on this? That it's often easy, instead of magnifying God, that we magnify our problems. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever had problems? Wave at me if you've got a problem now. Nod at me if they're seated next to you. <laughs> Not really. We all have problems. We all have challenges. You know when your problems are going to be over? Somebody says, I want to be done with my problems. I I'm not sure you do. Because your problems are not going to be over till you're gone. till you get to heaven. So as long as we're here, we're going to have problems. As long as we're here, we're going to have pain. As long as we're here, we're going to have challenges. And Mary has them. Her rejoicing is not because she has an easy life. It's, so, it's because she's chose to magnify God instead of magnifying her problems. And it's easy to magnify our problems. If you're walking through a challenge right now in your workplace, oh, man, you're spending a lot of time there. Guess what happens? It begins to just eat up your mind. That's what you're thinking about. Long after you come home from your job, if it's not going well, if there's a problem or a problem person or you're like, you know, it's just easy to just magnify that. That's always in your mind. If you're having a challenge with your finances, you know, you're just always thinking about it. If it's in your health, if it's in some other situation, if it's a battle with stress or anxiety, it's just so easy because it's so front and center in our lives that we just magnify magnify that. It just becomes big to us. And so what I want you to take away from our time together in these few moments that we have is Mary doesn't have a perfect life. She doesn't have a pain-free life, a problem-free life. Mary has all kinds of problems. And furthermore, this is what you've got to know about Mary in that context, uh, in this context, in this history that she lived in. Mary has zilch in terms of status. She has no status. Mary has no power. She has no position. Mary has no resources. She has absolutely no influence. But you know what Mary did have? Mary had God, and God was enough for Mary. And can I tell you, God is enough for you. I don't know what your challenge is. I really don't. I don't know what you're faced with. 
Maybe it's just like terrible at work right now. Maybe the stress that you're living with, you're like, oh, man, maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe you're having a challenge in your marriage, lack of money, uh, whatever, you know, a battle with an ex-spouse or so-called friends that just betray. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But this is what I know, that God is bigger than your greatest challenge. And I would encourage you as I get ready to pray for you, that you would not do what most people do. And you would not do what we all typically do. And that is to magnify your problem. Because how many of you know, the more we magnify and think about our problem, our problems, or pain, how many of you know what it does? Does it get smaller? It gets bigger. We magnify it. It gets bigger. I want to encourage you on the first day of this three-week series to try something else. And that is instead during this Christmas season to say, you know, I could magnify my problems. I could magnify the pain in my life. But I think I'll try something that's going to be better instead. I think I'll magnify God. I think I'll praise him. Can we stand together and let me pray for you? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We're just about done. But I don't want to leave this time without praying for you. Because some of you are faced with some challenges. Maybe it's in one of the areas that I just mentioned in passing a moment ago. Maybe it's in something that we haven't even talked about or gotten near today. But it's real. And it hurts. And it's painful. And it would be so easy for you to just magnify it, to think about it, to just dwell on it. But you're not going to do that. You're going to magnify God. And we're going to sing as part of a song that we sang just a moment ago, but not until I pray for you. And I'm not going to pray for you until you raise your hand. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, if you just say, Jeff, I'm walking through something. I've got a problem. There's some pain in my life. There's some challenge. I'm afraid. I'm worried. I'm fear. I'm anxious. I need God help. God's help. I'm magnifying my problems. I need God to help me to magnify God. If that's you, would you just lift your hand, put it straight up in the air. Just put it straight up in the air. And let me pray for you right where you're at. All right. I see them, a bunch of them. And I want to pray for you, and then we're going to sing. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you care about us. The whole idea of Christmas is God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his son. And your son, Jesus, was a gift to this world. And salvation is a gift to us. And you care about us. And sometimes in the middle of our problems, in the middle of our pain, in the middle of our frustration and our our disappointments, our hurts and our hangups and our habits, we forget to magnify you. But God, we're going to focus on you. We're going to love you because we know this. You're bigger than the greatest challenge that we face. It may be big, but it's not as big as you. And you care about us and you love us and you're going to help us and you're going to bring us through it, God. You're powerful. You can do something about it. And for that, we give you praise. You are a good, good, good God. And you deserve our worship. You deserve our praise. And we're going to give it to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, let's sing out together.
sure you come next Sunday to experience our next worship. Thank you.